A spontaneous and unrehearsed interview. Welcome to the 70th episode of Curiosityness. I am Travis DeRose, the host, and this is a fun episode. It's super interesting. It really took me by surprise how much uh, I kind of I got into this and uh, found this to be fascinating. Even if you're not a golfer, I think you'll you'll enjoy this episode. Uh, maybe not, but I think you would. Um, and so my guest is John Stabler. He is the uh, he has a site called GolfPsych.com, and he's the author of a book called The Eight Traits of Champion Golfers. And so he basically is like a golf mental coach. He tackles the mental side of golf, which is extremely important, and uh, you know also kind of applies to uh, other things like your personal life. Uh, so it's kind of cool to learn about this stuff. But we basically th- go through those eight traits that champion golfers have and uh, discuss them, talk about them, where you want to be on the spectrum to be a good golfer. And uh, it's really, really interesting. So I'm not going to talk anymore. I'm going to let John tell you about it. So without further ado, here is John Stapler. All right. What's up, John? How you doing? Hey, Chaz. I'm doing great. How are you today? Doing good, man. Thanks for being on. Stoked to talk to you. Yeah, good to talk to you. And I'm, I'm very curious. Oh, okay. Well, you might be yeah. in the right place. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and that was tongue-in-cheek. That was a pun intended. And that's true. That's good. I am very curious by nature. Okay, man, though, that's good to hear. Yeah, I mean, we were just talking before we started recording, and, you know, you have a whole animal rescue you're running there and everything. That's right. It's, uh, it's our hobby. Yeah. You could say. But it, it's also a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, it has big impacts. We have one dog right now that's kind of in hospice. Oh, okay. Dogs. He's our biggest, oldest dog, mm-hmm. and uh, he can't walk. Yeah. Anymore. So he lays around, we roll him around, we um, take care of all of his needs, we change his pee pads mm-hmm. often. Often. And unfortunately, he doesn't sleep through the night. Oh, man. Yeah. So some, some nights are better than others. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's wearing us out. But yeah, uh, it's been about five months like that. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it's not all wonderful. I mean, it's wonderful a lot, and even he's wonderful. But um, it's it's kind of our hobby, avocation, maybe. Uh, and golf psych helps us support it all. Yeah, yeah. No, that's awesome that you can you have the uh, the ability, I guess, and time to do something like this that is a hobby or, and passion of yours. Because yeah, I can imagine it. It takes up some of your takes up a bit of time. Yeah. 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 Chores, evening chores, and then whatever else needs to be done. Mm-hmm. Keeps us busy. Right. It's also impossible to travel. Oh, yeah. That's a good point. It's hard enough. We have one dog. It's hard enough to travel with, with her, you know, or find somebody to take care of her. So it's. Pretty to walk into this and handle it? No. Pretty hard. Yeah. So, so, was... so for several years now, most of our traveling has been individual. Right. Deborah's home while I travel. I'll stay home while she travels. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
it's it's hard for both of us to get away together. Yeah. Yeah, that's tough. At least you have kind of the, you two are a team, so you can at least do the individual travels if you need to. Yeah. And we also retired from traveling on tour a few years ago. Uh-huh. We were still out there. We used to be out there full time. Yeah. On the PGA Tour, the LPGA, and Champions Tour uh, primarily. And with that travel, this would be impossible. There's just mm-hmm. no way. Right. And, uh, we got burnt out on that travel, you know, 20 years of it's more than you. And so we tapered off to the point where last year we did not go to one professional event, not even the ones in San Antonio, which is, you know, only 30 miles away. Right. We're still getting new, new tour clients. Mm-hmm. In fact, we're getting clients from, um, from the Euro Tour and the Challenge Tour in Europe. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, so they, we have clients all over the world, many we've never met. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, but we can still help them. Yeah. We live in the digital world, man. We only need to know what they think. We don't need to see them play. Right. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. You kind of have a unique uh, advantage there. Yeah. Exactly right. No, no, that's great that you can kind of, you know, scale your business back to to suit your lifestyle and what you guys want at this point. So that's awesome. Yeah, it's been it's been really good. We decided to pursue this um, pretty much right after we got married back in 1989. Okay. And Deborah was already a licensed counseling psychologist. And she'd done her first study to earn her doctorate in psychology, a study of the LPGA players. Okay. Their personalities. That's how she earned her doctorate in psychology. At that time, that was in 1981. At that time, there was no sports psychology degree. Mm -hmm. It didn't, you couldn't go to any kind of program and get pass a sports psychology. So um, that's the way you did it. You did psychology and you pushed it to sport. And that's what she chose to do. And amazingly, she was able to get the professional ladies to participate. Uh-huh. You know, her, her dissertation committee said, pick another group. You'll never get them to participate. But Deborah's was <clears throat> really smart and she's stubborn. And... <laughs> She said, no, I'm going to do it. Uh-huh. And then she got a little uh, serendipity. She met Carol Mann. Um, Carol Mann is an LPGA Hall of Fame golfer. Okay. okay. The LPGA Hall of Fame is the toughest hall. L- I'm sorry. It's the toughest Hall of Fame to get into. Oh. Okay. So it's pretty prestigious. Yeah. And, uh, Deborah met her in California, and Carol said, you know, nobody pays any attention to the LPGA. Mm-hmm. This would be good for us. And she encouraged the other players, and that's how Deborah got enough players to have a very statistically valid study. I see. Okay. A real scientific study. So, so what, Yeah, what was she, that study about? Can you tell me about that? The question was... Is there a difference in terms of personality between the frequent winners on tour Mm -hmm. 
other players on tour. To get to that level in golf, your physical skills have to be really good. Right. So everybody out there is a, is a very good player, and everybody out there has had some pretty good success. But yet when they get to that level, the very top in golf, some of them win a lot, like Carol Mann. Mm-hmm. Others never. They, they have a whole career. They make enough money to stay out there, but they never win. Yeah. And so Deborah asked the question, is there a difference? And she discovered that on eight personality traits, the frequent winner group measured different from the other tour players. And the level of, she measured 32 personality traits. Uh Eight of them distinguished the frequent winners from the other players. And the level of statistical distinction was at the 95th percentile and above. Wow. So that means that for those traits, they were 95% and above different. The the frequent winners measure here Uh and players don't. Okay. Okay. I see. It's that clear. Wow. This This is almost black and white. Yeah. This isn't like other studies you hear where they say, well, if you do this, you know, behavior or eat this, whatever, you're three times as likely to get cancer. Mm -hmm. Right. And then you then you look at the data and you find out, well, your odds of getting cancer are like one in 10,000. And if you eat this stuff, they're now three in 10,000 or four. Well, yeah, that's three times as much. But you know what? I'm not changing my behavior for that. Right. Yeah. Are pretty good odds. So, but no, this is this is not hyperbole. This is this is wow. Yeah. Now, here's another way to think about it. Are you familiar with golf? Have you paid much attention to the top players in the world? Uh, I I play golf, you know, probably once or twice a month. But and I watch kind of the PGA occasionally, but I'm not super into it. So you know that the guys that win, and there's some that win often, mm-hmm. are really good. But I have to tell you, from our experience, and we got to know it, we've worked with over 400 of them, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Clients. And <clears throat> we've known a lot more. And you say, why are they at the top? Do they work harder at the game than the other tour players? Mm-hmm. I have to tell you, no, they don't. Some work really hard and some not so hard. Right. Players that are not winning a lot that are working unbelievably hard. Okay. It's not the key. Right. Are they all built the same? Right? Or is, is there like a perfect build for golf? You're built pretty good for golf. You're slender. Mm-hmm. I don't know how tall you are, but slender is really good for golf. Okay. But you look at the top 50 players in the world, and they're not all slender. Brooks Kopka is quite muscular, mm-hmm. right? He's, he's pretty big and muscular, but there are other players that are way shorter. Rory McIlroy is, is like 5'10". Yeah. So the answer is no. There's no perfect build. <clears throat> Fitness, no. General strength, no, not the key. Mm-hmm. Do they go to some 
fishing pro nobody else can go to? No. Do they have equipment nobody else can get? No. Do they all swing exactly the same? No. Do they hit it further than everybody else? Some hit it pretty far, but no. Right. There are other tours that hit it just as far, but they're not winning. Yep. So I think this is the secret sauce. I think this is the hidden ingredient. It's their personality. Yeah. Survival of the fittest for stroke play golf determine these traits. Okay. Okay. Right. If you don't line up with those traits, your chances of becoming a frequent winner are extremely low. Yeah. Your chances of winning at all are pretty low. Mm-hmm. Anybody can get hot for one week, right? Just play great out of their minds, maybe, and win. Mm-hmm. But be able to repeat it every year, that's I'm not sorry. It's yeah. a really hard really hard game so when we decided to focus on golfers and get deborah out of that little clinical practice mm-hmm. you know that that office in southern cal i was doing really well in my business uh, i would i wasn't in psychology or sports psychology or anything like that but i was making good money and i could support us while we headed in this direction right nice got permission from the PGA tour to do the study with the men. Okay. And proceeded to get it done. Yeah. And found the same eight traits for the men that she had found for the women. Nice. They're all playing stroke play golf. Yeah. So survival of the fittest determined those traits. Mm-hmm. And now before we work with anybody, before we try to coach them, Before I would give you advice, I mean, I could give you advice, but if I had your personality assessment, same one the tour players took, Mm -hmm. I could show you where you match up and where your challenges are. Okay. I could coach you based on those areas where you don't line up so that you can operate like the frequent winners when you're playing, when you're competing. Right. That's, in a nutshell, what we're doing. Okay. Interesting. So I guess, can you tell me what the eight personality traits were? Sure. Sure. <clears throat> I'm going to just go through the, this is not a hierarchy, uh-huh. but this is the way the traits are laid out by um, Dr. Raymond Cattell, who developed the personality assessment we use. Okay. So in this order. On a scale where uh, you have introverted versus extroverted, a one to 10 scale, a person that measures five or six in that scale can be extroverted at times and introverted at times, roughly half the time, right? They're kind of blended. Right, it makes sense. The further to either side, the more they are that way. Okay. So a one is extremely introverted. Mm-hmm. Ten is extremely extroverted. Okay. Right? So that's their universe. <clears throat> the frequent winners from all the studies measure three, four on the introverted side of the scale. So that means they are slightly to clearly more introverted than 
the average person that would measure five six. Okay, I see. Right. So that means that they have a very good ability to narrow their focus, block out distractions, keep their attention right here. Mm-hmm. And they do it easier than anybody that's towards the extroverted side of the scale. Okay. But they didn't measure one or two on that scale. Yeah. It, extreme extroversion is introversion is not the key. Okay. Oh. There can be issues. The people on the extreme introverted side, they can focus like crazy. But golf is diabolical. The things that you naturally want to do are mostly wrong. Hmm. Okay. So those extreme introverts are going to try to focus and think about the game constantly and maybe think about their swings and maybe they go through their checklist and all their swing keys every time and they set up really careful and all that stuff. But when you do that stuff, it makes it harder to play Mm -hmm. because you engage your left brain thinking about things that don't actually help you be athletic and hit the ball solid. Right. Makes sense. But the ball just sits there, right? Yeah. We can think about all kinds of stuff. That's one of the things that makes golf so hard. So above average introverted, Mm -hmm. able to further focus, be more inwardly focused. That's number one. Number two, on the scale of concrete versus abstract thinking, or abstract thinking is on the 10 end of the scale, and concrete's on the one end of the scale, the frequent winners measure average to slightly above average on the abstract side. Now, what does that mean? Concrete thinkers have a, let's call it, a simpler way of thinking. One thought leads to the next thought, leads to the next thought. Okay, mm-hmm. kind of a, we say a train of thought. Um, Einstein was a concrete thinker. Okay. He, he, got, he took that train. We're still finding out he was right. Yeah. You know, amazing. A hundred years later. Yep. On the high abstract side of the scale, these are busy minds. Somebody that's high in the abstract scale, they come up to a golf shot, and there are so many variables, and there are so many different shots you could play in that situation, and they can see them all. Mm-hmm. Now you got to decide. You got to pick one. Right. You have a limited amount of time to decide. Mm-hmm. Okay. So <clears throat> when the pressure's on, typically our minds get a little busier. So the abstract, high abstract thinker can struggle and encounter what we call paralysis by analysis. (laughs) And so they get over the golf ball and they haven't decided. Yep. It's it's not going to play. Yeah, I've been there. You got to decide before you get over the ball. Yep. Okay. So the frequent winners are not high abstract. They're just above average. Okay. On that side. So they can consider enough variables. They can consider enough 
different options to make a usable choice, an effective choice, Mm -hmm. but they're less likely to run into problems making decisions. Right. Just based on this trait. Mm -hmm. Okay. So when we find people that are high abstracts, we help them simplify their thought process, listen to their intuition, go with their first impressions, and stop thinking it. Yes. Okay. And for the concretes, we ask them to go through a checklist to make sure they check enough things. Uh huh. Make a good decision. Yeah. So the third champion trait is emotional stability. That makes sense, right? Yeah. Excuse me. On this scale, you have emotionally reactive around the one and emotionally stable 10. All of the studies lined up on seven on the stable side of the scale. Okay. Work, our experience, we, we found that there are absolutely no issues for golf for eight, nine, and 10. You can be extreme stable and it doesn't hurt your golf whatsoever. Okay. Coach on over there. Mm-hmm. So I could call seven through 10 champion, but all lined up on seven. So we use seven. Mm-hmm. People that are more emotionally reactive experience their emotions easier, quicker. That's all. Yeah. So when you're playing golf and everything is determined by your outcome, mm-hmm. whether the ball goes in the hole or not, yeah. or it goes where you intend or not, <clears throat> whether it bounces lucky or unlucky, right? There's lots of opportunity to react emotionally. Yeah. And the big problem is when you do that, your body releases chemicals. And those chemicals are uniformly bad for golf. Mm-hmm. If you react emotionally, negative or positive, it doesn't matter. Oh, interesting. It's not a burden. You just dump some chemicals in your system. Uh-huh. Change your body, and you are no longer as good a golfer as you were a moment ago. Wow. The bigger the reaction, the more chemical, the longer it takes before you recover. Mm-hmm. So this is this is the source of the birdie bogey classic sequence. Yep. For uh, multiple bad shots in a row, multiple bad holes in a row. Uh huh. Set. You just can't play for a while. So that's pretty important. Yeah. And we coach people to manage their thoughts and be aware. But if you have reacted, there's nothing you can do about it. Mm -hmm. Chemicals are there until they're used up. So if you've reacted, then you should make more conservative choices for a little while. Okay, I see. Recover. Yeah. Right? If you've just hit it in the woods and you got upset about that and you find your ball and you've got this little opening towards the green, probably shouldn't try to hit that shot. Mm -hmm. You reacted, not because it's a difficult shot, because you reacted and your golf skills are not as good as they were. Right. Right? So the odds of making it 
just got worse. Yeah. Dude, John, I love this. This is awesome. Yeah. Well, it's the way we work, right? It's the way yeah. people. <clears throat> the next champion trade is called uh, submissive versus dominant. And the frequent winners measure slightly dominant. Okay. Not extreme. Now, what does this mean? People on the submissive side of the scale play safe a lot. Mm -hmm. They don't take chances. Okay. They shots where they have lots of confidence. They don't take enough risk to score. Okay. And when the pressure's on, they play safer. Okay. On the dominant side of the scale, the high dominance, they're trying to overwhelm a golf course. They're trying to hit it further. They're trying to, you know, make the score, yeah. make, make it happen. And unfortunately, in golf today, the commentators on TV are talking about this concept they call bomb and gouge. Okay. Meaning, hit it as far as you can hit it. And if you end up in the rough, it's okay because you're much closer to the green and you're strong enough to hit that ball out of the rough and control it. Okay? Well, the little guys on tour, they can't do that. Right. They can hit far, but playing that good shot out of the rough is not as easy for them, right? Mm -hmm. We don't recommend it. Yeah. Ouch. If you're Phil Mickelson, it's probably a 12 on this scale. <laughs> for it. He wants more distance, but he's got a magic short game. Yeah. So he can get away with it. He's won 43 times. Yeah. Yeah. He's won a lot. He's in the champion group. Okay. But he's too high dominant. Mm -hmm. he, he's thrown away his best chances because he's made those dominant choices. When he had the opportunity. Yeah, totally. Don't always work out. So <clears throat> the next one is called tough-minded versus tender-minded. The frequent winners are clearly more tough-minded than the average person. Okay. Probably than most of the other two folks. Tough-minded means logical, rejects illusions, um, matter of fact, um, selfish and self-centered. Okay. Tender-minded on the other end of the scale is caring of others, affected by others, mm -hmm. right? Struggling, you'll feel bad for them, right? It'll distract you from your game, kind of stuff. So right. support. <laughs> Focusing on your own game is pretty important. So the coaching is worry about your game. Don't worry about their game and what's happening with them. If it's your best friend that's choking their guts out, mm -hmm. worry about that. And you cannot help. Them. Yeah. You got to say to yourself, I can help. I'll help them after the round. But right now I'm focused on my stuff. Uh huh. So for, for tough minded, is that, is that another one where you can be extreme on the scale? You can be. Okay. Yeah. You could be extreme. And generally that doesn't hurt you for playing golf, uh -huh. but it does hurt you 
in your relationships yeah. with other people. I can imagine, yeah. Think about the tour players. They all have teams of people mm-hmm. around them, helping them do what they do. They have a swing coach. They might have a short game coach. They typically have a physical therapist. They typically have a trainer. Uh, they have a sports psychologist. They have a manager. They have a caddy. They have a wife. Yeah. A lot of them. Mm-hmm. Kids. Yeah. Family. So if they're super tough-minded, they create problems in that side of their life, which then affects their golf. Yeah. Some of the really tough-minded guys, they're in a divorce, whatever, things aren't going well. When they go to play, it's their escape, so they play fine. But it doesn't help them solve the problems. Yeah. We, we, had, one, we had one player that's super tough-minded, and he went home at the end of the season, and he was surprised to walk in the house, and there was no furniture and no family there. He didn't realize how bad things were at home. Oh, geez. Yeah, he was surprised. Yeah. Uh, so that's too tough-minded. So we, we, we coach people to be tender-minded off the course, some. Yeah. You need those relationships because those people help you do what you're doing. Totally. And, but on the course, tough as nails. Yep. Not your game. You don't care about anybody else. That's tough. Moment. Then we have the most important of the eight champion traits, and that is self-assurance versus apprehensive. Okay. That's the frequent winners measure three, four on the self-assured side of that scale. And we always tell people they're, they measure more self-assured not because they've won a lot. It helps them. They mm-hmm. were there. Selfish, strong self-assurance means you like yourself, you believe in yourself, you trust yourself to be successful, you expect good things. That's your perspective. Okay. On the apprehensive side of the scale are people who value themselves based on external things. So how much money they make, mm-hmm. the car they drive, the neighborhood they live in, the club they belong to, their golf score is all super important and determines whether they're happy or not. Mm-hmm. So you can see how that would put some pressure on their golf. Yep. They hit a bad shot, it means they're a bad person. And often they start bad, negative self-talk, beat themselves up, mm-hmm. they miss a shot. Yeah. Remember emotional stability? Beating themselves up. Right. Experiencing emotions. Yeah. It's not going to help. And they get another bad shot. So now we're piling on. Yep. Right? So competitive golf is really hard for people that are more apprehensive. Mm-hmm. They work really hard on their games. That's what we find often. 
They work really hard on their games. And quite often we see more tough-minded as a compensation for being so apprehensive. It's how they survive. I see. But they really need to develop more self-assurance. It's the most important of the eight champion traits based on our experience. Uh I almost don't care where you score on this scale. I want you to get more self-assurance. It's just, there's no negatives. It's all good. Uh Better health, better life, better relationships, better at your job, better at your golf, Mm -hmm. better for your family. If you have an apprehensive parent, then quite often they are being very critical of their child. Right. The way they were raised. And so the child here is, well, I must not be good if I don't get that done or get it done right. It must be, I must be something wrong with me. Mm-hmm. And it hurts their self-assurance. Now the parent thinks that they're motivating. Right. They think they got to be demanding. They got to be more demanding so that their child could stand up to, to life. Long thing. Yep. That creates people that are never happy no matter how successful they are. Yeah. That's a miserable way to go through life. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, you can strengthen. Okay. And, and Deborah, being a counseling psychologist, is very well equipped to do that. Mm-hmm. Help people that way. So, all right. The next champion trait is called self sufficiency. That is on a scale where you have group-oriented, a 1, and self-sufficient, a 10. And the frequent winners are clearly above average on the self-sufficient side. Okay. Efficiency means you like to make your own decisions. You prefer it. Group-oriented means you're happy to play a team sport. Yeah. Be coached. You take a self-sufficient person and put them on that football team. Coach say, I want you to do this and this and this. They're going to say, yes, sir. And then they're going to do what they want. Yeah. That's, just, that's self-sufficient. They're not as coachable. Mm-hmm. It also makes them less likely to come for help. You can keep them away when they really need to talk about the medicine. Yeah. It's pretty easy to work with, though. It's just... Make your own decisions. Don't let anybody else club you. It doesn't matter what everybody in your group is hitting. Just because yeah. they hit driver doesn't mean you need to hit driver. Right. You need to play the course to your strengths. Make your decisions. Okay. Right? And then the last of the champion traits is the tension or arousal scale where one is super relaxed and 10 is wound up. Okay. And on this scale, the frequent winners uh, measure four or five. That is average, slightly more relaxed. Okay. But we've also done some research uh, with a device that I invented called the mind meter. Mm -hmm. And it takes your level of overall arousal both mentally and physically. 
um, on your golf shots. Mm -hmm. And with that, we've been able to refine this a little bit. And so we, we consider the optimum range for golf to be between four and six. And that is six for driving and longer shots. I'm a little more aroused. Uh-huh. And four for putting and shirking. Interesting. Okay. Players have no clue about this. Yeah. And they don't know how to relax anyway. <laughs> so that means from tee to green on every hole, you need to be getting more relaxed. And as you walk to the next tee box, it's okay to go up a little bit. It'll help you hit the longer shot. Right. But not too high. Yeah. But what most players are doing, they're on the emotional roller coaster. So that level of arousal is rising and falling. They are all about their outcomes. And so they've hit it on the green in regulation, right? They're on in two shots and on in three shots. And if they can make the putt, they make a birdie or an eagle. And that's pretty exciting. But what they're not doing is relaxing. Mm -hmm. So they've hit a great tee to green and their putting stinks. Yeah. Not because they're a bad putter, because they don't understand arousal. Uh -huh. They don't know how to manage themselves for optimum putting. Yeah. It's their touch, their feel, their distance control is just not as good as normal. Yeah. They start, start hearing things like, Man, I hit, I hit uh, 13 fairways, and, and uh, I hit 15 greens, and I couldn't buy a putt. Mm -hmm. Couldn't putt to save my life. I was, I was lipping them. I was short. I was long. I, was, I never got settled on the greens. I just, you know, I had 39 putts. Man. That pro saying that, you know? Yeah. We're all human. It applies to them as well as to you and me. Yeah, totally. For the arousal, if you want your best touch and feel, your best ability to read the greens, your best ability to stroke the ball, you got to lower arousal. Yeah. Man. So, yeah, that is so interesting. I love that. I love that we went all through that. So thanks so much, John. And so, ooh, the traits of champion golfers. It's all outlined in there. The eight traits. The eight traits. There it is. Champion golfers. Our book. Yep. I'll have a link to that on Amazon. Excellent. Yes. It's, uh, buy it on Amazon. They can sell it cheaper than we can. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Cool, man. No, that's that's extremely fascinating. I love hearing about that. And then, so I think then the next you know question that everyone goes to is it's like well now i know where i need to be and i've you know taken the the personality test to know where i am is it possible and how hard is it i guess to move myself into the optimal range for all those eight traits certainly it depends on where you scored if you're close it's uh -huh. easier if you're further away it's harder naturally of course <clears throat> we're not trying to change your personality all the time just when you're playing golf. Right. So we have our methods and our coaching to help you move in the right direction. When you take the personality assessment, you get a report with recommendations and methods that should be right for you. Uh -huh. 
based on your personality. So it's like a um, your own self-guided golf club. Yeah. Based on you. Right. Right. So if you're high abstract, you don't need to read about the concrete folks. Mm-hmm. What's right for them. You just need to know what's right for you. Right. Yeah. Don't overload with information that you don't need. That's in the report. Okay. And then we won't work with anybody until they've done that. Right. And it'd be like, you know, working with one hand behind our back, tied back. Right. Yeah. Ending us from being fully effective. Mm -hmm. So how hard is it? Let me give an example. Um, I don't, you probably don't know who Gary McCord is. No. Uh, he's been a commentator on golf, uh, a lot of tournaments. Mm-hmm. He's pretty interesting. He has a handlebar mustache. Nice. Quite intelligent. Um, so Gary played 376 PGA Tour events. Mm-hmm. He made the cut in 242 events. So he had a full career. Yeah. No wins. Zero. Wow. Two two chances or 376 chances. Yeah. Now, here comes the senior tour. Gary's 49. He's known us for a while, but we haven't worked with him. Mm -hmm. And he's commentating. He's making good money. He's enjoying that part of his life. So he doesn't want to give that up and work really, really hard on his game, you know, to get ready for the senior tour. Right. Which is cool. The senior tour, it's like you're born again. You No cuts. Once you're in, there's a lot of money to be made, right? Mm-hmm. It, it, fewer competitors, yeah. half fewer competitors, and no cuts. So it's pretty sweet for the guys who've been on tour. So... <clears throat> Gary came to us and said, hey, let's, let's try this. You know, I don't want to change the other stuff. So maybe we can figure something out and I'll help me take advantage. So we worked with him. We did the assessment. And Gary lined up on two of the eight traits. Uh-huh. It's off on six. Yeah. And his biggest challenge was high abstract. Okay. Very high abstract. Okay. And so we worked with him on that. We coached him on that. Um, I don't know if he practiced a little bit more. He probably did. But he played 17 events in his first year on the senior tour. Mm-hmm. Won twice. Oh, my gosh. Won twice. Yep. Same guys he couldn't beat. 306 tries. And now he can beat them. Yeah. Yeah. And anybody that follows the senior tour knows those guys can play. Yeah. It's like they turned 50 and suddenly they couldn't play. Yeah. They can. Dude. Some guys back and forth, but um, that was the impact. Yeah. Of, of understanding the best ways to think, um, learning how to do it yourself and applying it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I think it was, 
I think this was on your website when I was kind of researching this that I read some something to this effect that like and you'll hear this as a golfer people will say it all the time that the game's like you know 80% mental or 90% mental and everything like that but then yeah nobody everybody just focuses on like a swing technique or different things like that they'll say it and then they won't even focus on on the mental aspects you know which is crazy it makes no sense at all right when yeah get that you say I, I just had who was I just had an older gentleman um, who, you know, came through our website, mm-hmm. us, um, had some questions and has been struggling with his game. He's a um, single digit handicap. Okay. And he's got his handicap down, but now it's starting to move up. He's not scoring as well as he was just a little while ago. Uh-huh. And his comment was, I've worked on the physical stuff to the point where I feel like it's pretty good. And now it's time to work on the mental. Mm-hmm. That is very common thinking. Right. Among players and teaching pros. And it's wrong. Yeah. It's flat wrong. If you could do some good mental work, with a beginner, they will develop faster. They'll enjoy the game more. Mm-hmm. They'll get better faster, and their mental gets stronger and stronger. Yep. Versus this approach where beat balls, beat balls. Make sure you do it like this. Put it on video. You know, get the least little bit of oh, you're over here. You need to be over here. Kind of stuff. And then when those people try to play, where are their thoughts? Their thoughts are on the swing. Yep. They're not on the ball to the target. They're thinking about make sure of this stuff. Well, your neurological system is not fast enough to control the golf swing. Oh, interesting. Okay. The way you swing effectively, you practice a lot. You develop your swing. Mm-hmm. What you're doing, you're training the sequence of signals. Mm-hmm. You're creating a program. Right. So to swing, the program runs, and the signals happen in the right sequence mm-hmm. to the right parts of your body to make it work. Makes sense. When you try to control the swing or monitor the swing, like you're thinking about, okay, make sure I get to the top or don't, you know, up here or something. You're throwing more signals that are disturbing the program. Mm-hmm. That's one problem. The second problem is that the time it takes a signal to go from your brain to your thumb, tell it to do something, sense it's doing it, out and back, mm-hmm. 250 milliseconds. Okay. That's a quarter of a second. Not very long. The golf swing for the tour players from takeaway to impact ranges between 0.93 and 1.23 seconds. Right. How many round trips could you make in that period of time? Four to five. At the most. Yeah. You're not fast enough because... The signal goes out, 
and you've already moved an eighth of the distance. Yeah. Comes back, you moved another eighth. Right? No, you're not fast enough. Right. So, would it, like when practicing, would a kind of a way to go about it, maybe this is what you teach, would be to like on the driving range is kind of maybe when you focus on your your swinging technique and everything like that and grip and follow through and stuff. And then when you're on the course is when you try to practice the mental side of things. No. You're close though. Okay. You're thinking, right. you're thinking about it right. Uh-huh. Part of your practice is mechanical. Okay. On technique. Say 50%. And 50% of your work on the range and the short game area and practice area is play style practice. Okay. Where you're doing a full mental routine and you're playing a shot just like you do on the golf course. Mm-hmm. Pretending you're on a golf course. You have a specific target. Before you play it, you define what's acceptable, where the green is. Right. You have a shot in mind. You see it, you feel it, and you play it. Mm -hmm. Where did the ball go? Did it go good? Did it go somewhere else? Went good? Great. If it went somewhere else, where did it go on that hole? Mm-hmm. And what would the next shot be? I see. You don't play the shot over to try to perfect it. Uh-uh. Okay. That mechanical practice. Pretend you're on the golf course. Keep score. As soon as you keep score, you put yourself into the same mindset you're going to have when you go on the golf course. Okay. Keep score. Interesting. Yeah. And then... All- Finish with play style. Oh, okay. So that yeah. had to be the second half of your practice if, routine? For example, if you're um, hitting your five iron, you're working on your five iron mm-hmm. over and over and over. All right. Before you put the club away, play some shots. You don't have to do 50 50 there. Mm-hmm. Right? Play some shots. Okay. And then, and then move on. Right. Before the round, before you compete, before you play your round and want to play for score, there should be very little mechanical thought. Okay. Very little. Yep. Loosen up, warm up, relax, get tempo and rhythm, and then play shots. Yeah. Maybe the shots you're about to play. Okay. Yeah. Play five or six holes on the range and then go to the first tee. Mm Mm-hmm. Just the seventh shot, seventh hole, that's all. Yeah. Started. And that's the feel. Right. And then, so this stuff, I mean, obviously it's very useful for, you know, professionals and everything, but this can be used by everybody who's in the game of golf, right? Everybody. Yep. We found it to be very helpful at every level. Mm-hmm. Every level. 20 handicap, 30 handicap. In fact, the high handicappers can find a lot more shots on the mental side. Mm-hmm. I, I imagine so. Often they're playing golf swing. That's, they're all, that's all they're thinking about. Yep. And it messes them up. Yeah. And then they get frustrated. That messes them up. Yeah. So we get them thinking better. 
and it starts working better. Boom, 10 shots right away. Mm-hmm. Not, it's not unusual. Yeah. Man, dude, John, I love this. I find this super fascinating. And also, like, I, I really want to get started and try this on my own to do this personality uh, uh, sure. trait test and everything, because it sounds it's awesome. It is. It is. Cool. It, so, it, it will change your goal. Yes. Dude, I can't wait. Okay, so and, we're let's change your life. Yeah, I can imagine. I can see how this would, you know, like any of these traits. I think they, you said there were like 32 total traits in this personality exam. Yeah, like I could see how just kind of knowing and being aware of that would help you in your life outside of golf, even. It's our secret agenda. Yeah. <laughs> it is. We get a junior golfer, you know, they're competing a lot. It's pretty important. They want to go to college. Mm-hmm. These methods will help them everywhere. Yeah. Manage their emotions, help them narrow their focus, right? Yeah, totally. It's all, all good. Cool. So, where, how can people start? How, where should they go to find more of your stuff? We'll have your, your book linked up for sure. Golfpsych.com. Anything uh, else? No, that'll do it. Okay. You can go to our uh, Facebook page. Okay. You know, if, if you go to our website or our Facebook page and you fill out the contact information, then you also get any emails we send out. We okay. Get on our list. And we send out articles on a, not too frequent. I, I hate getting emails every, you know, couple days from a company, but yeah. Um, yeah, you'll get a couple good emails, maybe two or three a month. Mm-hmm. That could be helpful. Yeah. Cool, man. Awesome. So before I let you go, I want to ask a question about, um, and just to kind of get your your perspective, I, I would guess you probably get asked this question a lot, but like, what is your take on like what kind of the whole Tiger Woods situation and what happened with, with his game and everything? There are, and you're right, we do get asked that a lot. Tiger certainly very well known, yeah, and incredible. He's mm-hmm. done some incredible things in golf, and he's fun to watch. It's good for golf. Yeah, um, there are a lot of players today on tour because of Tiger. Yeah, when they were young, right? That's that's an amazing part about golf. Tiger's still on tour. And they saw him when they were little, and he's still there, and they get to play with him some of. Them. Yeah, that's the coolest thing. Yeah. So you have a player that from a very young age was very motivated, uh, but also supported by his mom and dad. Uh, His dad passed away. Uh, Still had his mom, though. But how shall I say it? Maybe hadn't fully developed all of his adult skills. Okay. Um, didn't handle married life uh, well enough. Mm-hmm. I made some very bad choices, uh, which became a huge distraction. It really hurt his brand for a while. Yeah. Um, at the same time, um, his body was breaking down. A lot of injuries, a lot of surgeries. Yeah. 
last U.S. Open he won. He basically had no cartilage in his left knee. He's in pain that whole round. Man. And, and uh, collapsing it a couple times. And he was still able to win. Yeah. Over uh, Rocco Mediate at, at uh, Torrey Pines. So, got the body breaking down, got the marital problems um, that took him out. Yeah. Took him out of it. And uh, I believe he learned from it. And it is totally amazing that he was able to come all the way back and win at the master. Yeah. Win a major. Coming from that history. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, not an easy road back. He's not all the way back. He's still struggling with his body. Yeah. So I'm very happy he's back and I wish him the best of luck. Mm-hmm. And I'd love to see him win some more majors and, and match Jack Nicholas record. Yeah. That would be fantastic. That would be really cool. Um, and you know, he could just win the masters four more times and that would take care of it. Right. Easy. Let's knock yeah. it out. Yeah. He knows how to play that course. It's a small field. And, uh, experience is worth a lot there mm-hmm. maybe that maybe he'll do it that way i don't know yeah but uh he's back mentally he's back mentally he's better maybe mm-hmm. than he was uh, certainly through the downtime yeah yeah i can imagine for sure i will not be surprised at all that he wins some more yep um, and he's certainly going to try to bring it for the majors Again, Masters is probably his best opportunity. It's the only major they play at the same course every year. Yes, yeah, that's true. They're, the players get to know it really well. It's mm-hmm. why Freddie Couples can always play there. Uh-huh. Been on the senior tour for a long time now. Yeah. He's a past champion, and he knows the course. Right. Well. So... And then I guess just to, I, w- I want to let you go, but just because I'm curious, just to jump back real quick, back when kind of like, I mean, when Tiger won at Pebble Beach by like, I don't know, he was like 10 strokes ahead of the next guy or something like that. Like what was going on there? Was he just like intimidating other guys or was it, was it him as a perfect storm of yeah, something? I think it was 15 shots. Okay. 15. He won the first masters. He won by 12. Man. That that's called lapping the field, uh-huh. and that's when he was still young. He's yeah, still out there, right? And you look at that, and you say, "Well, why did he change his swing? What? Why did he change his swing after that?" Uh huh. Makes no sense. Okay. Okay. So when he won Pebble and he won the Masters by so many shots. The real tiger effect hadn't happened yet mm-hmm. with all the players. Oh, yeah. But towards the end of that, that 10 years where it's just unbelievably dominant, yep. our clients were truly playing for second place. Yeah. Serious. That's, that's the way they would talk. That's the way they were thinking. That's the way they were talking with the other players. 
you know, oh, Tiger's playing. Okay, well, see if I can get second. Man. Serious. Yeah. And <clears throat> he definitely got in their heads. No question. Mm-hmm. But those early ones, those big, big wins, uh-uh. Yeah, that's a good point. But Tiger, Tiger showed what you can do when you're playing freely. Okay? Tiger was young. He'd already been very successful in golf. Mm-hmm. Now, on the world stage, he's, he loves it. And it, there's no holding back. Yeah. He had nothing to lose, right? No holding back at all. So he's just out there swinging free and and shooting at the pins and boom, he's hitting them. Yep. Where the other players are careful and methodic and two left brain, right? Yeah. They don't want mistakes and they're not as free. Right. That holds them back. Yeah. So they're beating them big time and at some point, the players have to say, well, I'm going to get lapped if I don't get after it. Yeah. It's kind of the underdog psychology, which is really good for, uh-huh. for, for your play. And that is, I'm not expected to win, so I got nothing to lose. I might as well go for it. Mm-hmm. And freeze them up and let them play some amazing golf. And that's what happens quite often. When a player plays a bad front nine and they kind of give up, and then they play a great back nine. Yeah. Or a bad first round, and well, I'm out of it. And then they play a great second round. Yep. Nothing to lose. Yeah, you'll see that a lot. Careful, guiding, steering kind of golf. Right. And they can play much better. Okay. Interesting. No, thanks for sharing. I was interested on your, your take on that. So man, well, cool. Thanks, John. Seriously. Awesome. I'm going to buy a copy, a couple copies of your book for myself, for my dad and my uncle and my cousin, and we're all going to read it. And then we're going to go golf together. For the golfer in your life, man. Dude. Benefit. Yeah. It's fun. Even just a little golf site helps. Yep. <laughs> There's a bunch of free articles on the website, on the blog. Yeah. You know, that are should be very helpful. We didn't hold back and they don't cost anything. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Cool. Well, yeah, for anyone listening, we'll have the links to all that stuff in the show notes. People can click on it and check it out. And uh, yeah, thanks again, John. Appreciate it. Very welcome, Travis. It was fun. Well, there you have it. That was episode 70 with John Stabler of golfpsych.com. So I hope you enjoyed it. And uh, especially if you're a golfer, I hope you found some of that advice and uh, insight kind of actionable and kind of sent you on a, an interesting path of maybe wanting to look into the uh, mental side a bit. And I seriously, I really do want to take uh, the uh, uh, personality trait quiz and kind of see where I'm at on all of those traits because I'm, I'm extremely curious about that. Um, but then also to shift myself to where I need to be as a champion in golf. Um, so if you have maybe a golfer in your life who might find this stuff interesting, I would love it if you shared it with them. Uh, I'm sure they would love to hear this kind of stuff and, uh, they might find it interesting. So 
super would appreciate that sending it off and recommending it to your friends and family um that's it if you want to give me some feedback uh tips ideas anything like that send me an email to travis at curiosityness.com you can visit the website if you'd like and get a free sticker at curiosityness.com slash free sticker and uh, find us on social media, Curiosityness Podcast on Instagram, at Curiosityness on Facebook, and Curiosityness TV on Twitter. Um, that I don't know why it's Curiosityness TV. That's just the only handle they had open. It's not actually like TV. Um. But that's it. Look into the links for, or look into the show notes for links to all that stuff, as well as stuff to uh, links to John, uh, John stuff. But uh, without anything else to say from me, I'm going to end this podcast. So thanks for listening to all this, and I'll see you in episode seventy-one. Goodbye.